0: Wrong the oppressor cassette. Ellis Horse, the project from the minds of Rob Antonucci and Ryan Hetz Canavan, available on all streaming platforms. War Self-Titled 7-inch, available in black and coke bottle clear. <laughs> Pick these up at PressGangRecordsUS.LimitedRun.com. Welcome to episode
1: seventy-four. I'm your host Josh Lyons. Tonight we're going to be talking with Iggy and Dave Steele from the band Abnegation. As always, you can find the podcast on the web, on the web and the social medias on Facebook and Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast, on Twitter at Podcast Hardcore. Uh, you'll find like upcoming episodes, uh, like nostalgic flyers, and just all sorts of cool shit. So just give us a follow over there. Uh, a bunch of upcoming episodes. Uh, keep your eyes out for those. Uh, thanks to everybody who's who's been supporting the Patreon so far uh got all sorts of tiers uh, incentives coming soon got some live episodes coming soon so again thanks everybody for supporting that uh local shows coming up this weekend on death and deal with god and a bunch of other bands are playing the bug jar uh, i've got a show coming up in july that i'll be announcing pretty soon so i'll probably have the information on that in like a week or two uh other than that uh this is episode 74 like i said we're gonna be talking to Dave Steele and Iggy from Abnegation. And kind of like I was telling these guys before the interview, uh, as I was prepping the notes for this, I kind of realized that a lot of the, the the records and the history of the band is, like half the history is probably before my time kind of thing. So we'll be talking and I'll be learning as we go type thing. So I guess we'll bring on uh, Iggy first. How you doing tonight, Iggy? Yo, what's going on, Josh? Not too much, man. And uh, Dave, how you doing tonight, man?
2: I'm doing wonderful. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like I said, we'll probably go through and do like a history of abnegation and, and probably talk, shoot the shit and do talk about some other shit, too. Um, I'm kind of interested, too, uh, just from doing the history, because like I know a few eerie bands, but like I said, like you guys were like, you know, 92, 93, I think you guys started. So that would have been like three or four years before I kind of jumped into things. So uh, I'm more familiar with like Brothers Keeper and, and shit like that was like bands that I saw. But what I'm getting uh-huh. at is, I kind of want to jump back, Iggy. Maybe you could tell me more, like about the beginnings of Erie and like the first few bands that kind of got you into the local scene.
0: Sure. Um, so, uh, you know, my first my first exposure to like local punk rock and hardcore was uh, via this venue called the Continental Ballroom, and that would have been about '88, '89. Uh, was when they had their their first. Uh, Really, to my knowledge, it was probably one of the first all ages uh, punk rock shows that happened in Erie. Um, Just a few local bands, My Three Scum, Lost, and Backwash. And, uh, you know, I I had just gone into punk mostly via like skateboarding and, you know, just reading Thrasher and seeing bands, you know, pop up through there. And then uh, my brother, who also is way into music. Um, not really like punk rock, but he he had a buddy that made me a tape with like UK subs and some like British punk stuff. Um, so I uh, caught wind of a, a a local radio show that um, the DJ Dan Allen, he would play everything. Tons of DC stuff like Swizz, uh Embrace. Um, and then... You know laughing hyenas, I mean, you name it. This dude did not care about genre or anything, you know, he, he just laid it out, and that's how I found out about the show. Um, but at the time, you know, Erie, pretty small town, less than 100,000 people. Uh, I was at like this prep school, or actually, then I was probably just in grade school, a uh, Catholic grade school, not a lot of punk rockers there. <laughs> um, so I I felt pretty secluded, you know, and uh, I walked in the continental ballroom with a couple of my buddies that I skated with and there was over like 200 kids in there, and you know I I just was floored I was like oh my God, this is really happening, you know, I mean, there are other people like me, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, so I was sold from from that point on. Um, and then. Uh, so. You know, I mean, I hate to get all technical, but, you know, there's there's a difference between like like punk rock shows and hardcore shows, you know, and that unfortunately, you know, started to come about in Erie, too. For a while, like it, it, it was tons of mixed genre bills or whatever, you know, bands from everywhere just playing on the same same bill. Once things sort of started to get popping and we started to bring in not we uh, mostly uh, Mike Ski from Brothers Keeper. Um, and this dude, Ben Frazier, started to bring in more hardcore oriented bands like uh, um, Solid State, which later became Snapcase, um, Outface, you know, and and uh, so those guys had a band of their own called, um, at first it was called Last Warning, and then they changed their name to Out of Hand, but um, they were the first eerie hardcore band, and then, and they were the ones that first like go to um, out-of-town shows, like have some out-of-town gigs like uh, the River Rock, um, Peabody's, and Cleveland. So they started to really network and start to bring those bands into Erie. Um, and from that point on, it just started to get bigger and bigger. So um, probably about a year into that, so looking around like 90, I started a a band with uh paul and chris from abnegation we had we had a band before abnegation and although i just could never settle on a name i must have changed the name of that band like three or four times but if uh you uh ever check out the um the lake effect comp that sa mob ems put out we have a song on there called payback um under break iron so that was that's really the first stuff that me, Paul, and Chris started to write together. Um, and there's there's a couple other dudes from Erie in there. Once that broke up, uh, maybe like a year or so later, well, no, it must have been like 92, me and Paul, who moved to Pittsburgh... Uh, well, you know what, dude, I'm sitting here talking and still, I didn't even drink that much caffeine, man. <laughs> I just, I haven't done that much talking yet today. So I think my mouth is just going, man. Do, do you have any questions about that right there? Like, you know, still about do you what jump- was going on? I don't know, man. I, 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 you know, like, again, I was just sort of going with it, man, but, uh, I don't
1: know. No, that's perfect. Really pause, you know, steel do you jump into the timeline here yet like, like i know uh like i know you don't play in the band till later but like were you checking out some of these shows too or
2: do you come in a little bit later well i do remember before they were Abnegation? i actually booked them at a place called backstage when they were break iron and yeah. uh was that downpour or break iron but either or it was uh the first time i ever got to see iggy and paul in action that's all i mean that's all i got for that timeline <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was still a glam rocker listening to heavy metal and not into the hardcore scene yet. At that point, yeah.
1: did you have so uh, you had more of like a metal upbringing then, and then you, oh. you got into hardcore like later?
2: Yes, definitely, definitely, way metal.
1: <laughs> was there was there like a scene for that in eerie too? Or are you more into like just like the like, like the more well known like metal stuff?
2: Uh, I mean, I was a sixteen year old kid trying to sneak into bars, watch all the metal thrash bands, old school eerie bands like slamcore, trauma, all, all the <laughs> Who? Seventh Gate, Inward Eye. Inward Eye, fuck yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, that's, that's, uh, there was a big, huge scene for the middle scene over there, just cause that was big in MTV Headbangers Ball. That shit was fucking large, man. So I
1: guess before we jump into Abnegation, then I never thought about that. Did you play in any bands before Abnegation, Dave? <laughs>
2: uh, ooh, I guess I gotta tell this one, don't I? Yeah, <laughs> I was in one band called Weed spelled W-E-A-D, and it stood for Will, Ed, Andy, and David. And it was probably the funniest, fucking most ridiculous thing I think I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we just played a uh, silly fucking uh, metal, almost covers, but not covers. And uh, yeah, it was a, uh, yeah, I was in a band. That's all I got, That's, that's let's just leave it at that one. <laughs> So I guess Iggy,
1: at, at, like, did you guys just kind of like shift right into abnegation then pretty much? So, you know, at the
0: time, in, uh, so once Paul moved to Pittsburgh, he linked up with, um, so you're just going to Pitt, and, you know, that, that pulls in people from, you know, all across the world, but all across Pennsylvania. So a lot of Philly kids, a lot of kids from Eastern PA came and, uh, He linked up with a lot of those straight edge kids and started, you know, to us, we were really focused on what we were getting just via being right in the middle of uh, Cleveland and Buffalo. You know what I mean? Like, and that was enough. If you think about it, like at that time, like integrity, ringworm, uh, snap case, zero tolerance, who I'll like. To the death of me be like that was the best band that ever came through that area ever <laughs> um you know those bands were were who we were seeing who we were influenced by um on a pretty regular basis Uh, but once paul went to Pitt, um he started to get open to a lot more stuff uh just having access to it a lot more there's a lot more record stores there so he was catching a lot of like the new age bands uh um and we had already started to uh both of us were already vegetarians. Um, I had a, a pretty close friend from Milwaukee, this dude Paul Gazo, who uh he really, you know, basically just just schooled me on veganism uh a lot and just really um just put it out there, you know what I mean? So that I, I was on my way to that, and then earth Crisis came out <laughs> and uh you know, at first when so Break Iron broke up, me and Paul start talking again about wanting to do a show or a band, I'm sorry. Um, and Erie had never had a straight edge band yet. Like like Brothers Keeper, most of those dudes were straight edge, but not all of them. So they never really made it a thing. Uh there was another band at the time, uh, antagonists, who uh, the singer was straight edge, but again, you know, that they didn't make it a thing. We wanted to be like you know basically put it out there like yo this is the way to live your life <laughs> and we were going to tell you about it <laughs> um and so that just really ignited us to be like well you know what here's never had a band like this let's let's just say fuck it let's do it um and then i mean it wasn't too much longer after that paul decided to go vegan too and we were like, well, you know what, we're just going to make that a, a fundamental part of what we're doing. Uh, and, you know, in the scheme of things, um, we were we we're feeling like it was a pretty important thing to, to push in Erie. Again, you know, no one was really bringing that up as a topic, putting it out there. So we sort of felt like there there was a need for it.
1: Also, I kind of want jump to jump in here, I guess, like 92, 93, I'm guessing, is, is it, uh, the years we're talking about, like, obviously like Earth Crisis was starting to pop off. Like how big was like the straight edge scene otherwise like nationwide though? Was there like a lot of like bands and influence? At that oh point? You know yeah, I man.
0: Yeah, I would say to, I mean, it, it's hard cause I don't know what the eighties were like as far as saying it was a, a golden age of straight edge. But I do feel by that time, a lot more of the band members really knew how to play their instruments a lot better. Uh, so the music coming out was just starting to sound way better, um, you know, and recordings were were getting better. So I, it just became a little bit more accessible, you know what I mean? But still had, of course, like uh, that the edge. Nah, nah, no pun intended, but uh, that the, the the you know the the edge to it, and it was still very well underground. But it it just started to uh, really blow up. Um, eerie had like a, a smaller straight edge scene at that, that during that period like 92 93 um but it, it was growing you know 15 20 kids but um by like the time 95 or so uh mike ski he really i mean that dude built the lake effect scene you know what i mean like he i i can't like downplay enough like how much he worked to really make Erie such an important hub for bands. And uh so then it just blew up, you know, Lake Effect Hardcore, Lake Effect Brotherhood. So for us, Straight Edge during like the early 90s was still like, eh, you know, everyone knew each other, you know what I mean? And if there was a, a kid wearing an X at the mall that you didn't know, you're like, yo, who the fuck are you, man? You know what I mean? It, it was pretty, pretty instant that they were there down, but uh yeah, I'd say about like 95, 96 for Erie, but again, you know, Erie is far behind the times, at least back then, you know, so um, it was always trying to play a game of catch-up, whereas like in Buffalo, uh, Cleveland, Straight Edge was huge, for sure.
1: And obviously, as we'll get to with some of the lyrics, they were kind of like outspoken and, you know, uh, touched oh, on yeah. some pretty heavy topics, like, was that a plan for you right from, from Jump Street, pretty much? Like, uh... Yes, yeah the,
0: i you know i uh unfortunately sometimes really wear my heart on my sleeve and i I can be very very dramatic <laughs> and uh you know that i think that was another thing that really appealed to to me about straight edge and veganism was just um the uh oh yeah the, uh, the just the intensity of it and um you know, I I prior to labeling myself straight edge, I had never done drugs, and it was not anything I ever wanted to do. Um, and I was very adamant about that. So when I found straight edge, it it just made sense, you know. And I I feel like um, growing up, I was uh, almost embarrassed, or you know, I felt bad that I, I didn't want to drink or smoke weed or whatever. And so finding straight edge, dude, I just wanted to make sure other kids like me knew that you know that there there are other people just like them (laughs) that it's not out of fear but just you know out of knowing that they don't want to do those intoxication you know i mean they don't want to get intoxicated like that
1: yeah so now were you guys just mostly playing like local like local and regional shows like in the in the first couple of like years and then the demo years i guess or
0: yeah 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 pretty much man um you know we uh for a good chunk of time. So there was a band in Pittsburgh called Slowpoke. And then this band in Buffalo fadeaway that had uh, Vogel on drums, you know, from Terror and a band in Cleveland called Fog Bank. So us four would basically, you know, do a weekend almost every month where we just rotated through the those towns. You know what I mean? Um so that was like in the beginning stages that's what we were doing pretty consistently um i would say once the demo got out a little bit more is when uh brian munn from militant uh reached out and brought us to bloomington and uh that i mean that was a, a huge step for us uh he was already you know, I, I can't remember if we had already said, yeah, we're going to do a seven inch with him, or you know, if it was after we did that show, but we knew that that was part of, of going out there, you know what I mean? So that, that was a huge step because that got us like people in Dayton, people in Indianapolis, Chicago, all those people started to connect with us too.
1: Were those straight edge scenes already pretty pretty heavy back then too? Like D- Dayton and, and Ohio and all those areas too? Because I know Dayton uh, obviously had like a long running scene at least since like the mid nineties or whatever. Yes, yeah. yeah, I would
0: say um, you know Dayton because like Indianapolis is there, Cincinnati's pretty close. It's it's pretty close to Chicago. They I mean they had a a pretty big scene growing already. Um, Courage Crew. You know, it was it came out of uh, Dayton, and those dudes um, obviously uh, <laughs> handle business, if you will. You know what I mean, man. And they, I, you know, the like, I, I saw JC from, you know, he's one of the OG Courage Crew dudes, and I wasn't sure what to expect. This was after Abnegation, and after I'd, I'd fallen or whatever, you know. And dude, dude's still my homie, man. You know, but you know those dudes were very straight edge. (laughs) They were definitely uh, making a name for themselves in Dayton. Uh, Indy had a, you know, I mean, to me, it was pretty big, uh, but it was all pretty much the same. You know what I'm saying? Like what might, you know, it's funny. So when we started talking about doing this reunion, you know, and, uh, I made the mistake of looking on uh what lamb goat. Is that right?
1: And yeah, I we, almost uh, I almost I was half considering opening it up for the interview and, and reading some of the comments, like like uh oh, was dude, it? Was, like, totally like bad, bad tweets or whatever, mean tweets or whatever. I was oh, like, dude, I don't I, you I know, you know, it. I was like, so but dude, that there's some of that shit on there is ridiculous. So yeah. And if
0: you want to pull some of those, man, I would love to address them.
1: Which maybe towards um, the end of the year, I'll have them pulled up then. That would be nice.
0: great. <laughs> All right. Uh, cool, cool, man. But,
2: um, you, know, you
0: I, I made a, a mention that, you know, because they were like, who the fuck cares? Who wants to see this? And I was like, well, I mean, it's it sold out. So, you know, I guess some people want to see it. And someone was like, oh, yeah, like a 200 capacity venue. And I was like, it's fucking hardcore, man. That's pretty big. <laughs> you know, in my head, because that's, that's, I still go to those shows. I still go to those hardcore shows where like a 300 capacity venue getting filled is an awesome thing, you know? And he's like, it should be like stage AE, which is like huge live nation band shit. And I was just like, dude, that's not even hardcore, man. What are you talking about? In my head, nonetheless. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, maybe now going to some shows where there's like a thousand kids that came from, you know, just relatively speaking, that doesn't even need to take in people from like all over the country. You know what I mean? Say like a turnstile show or something or Knock Loose. There's going to be a thousand kids there just from the area. So what might seem big to me, you know, back then might not be the same now, but I, I felt like most of those shows had like a hundred, hundred and fifty kids pretty pretty regularly. And that was that was pretty awesome. As well, far as the turnout goes.
1: I you know I guess getting to the promoter talk for a second. Uh what's the capacity in Ford Hall though? Because I always thought that place was pretty big. Oh no man, that was like two two fifty. That's Three. it. It seemed I guess I, I you know I
2: saw what'd you big. say steel? It's three fifty until they when they took the risers down. Oh uh,
0: yeah, I forgot when they took the risers down, that opened it up a little bit, and the bar, and they opened up the little side bar over there. Yeah. So that 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 bounced it up
1: a little bit too.
2: Yeah, it's it hot different... sweaty. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. I, I thought
1: that I saw some people crammed in there a few times, but um, so I guess by this point. Like, was there like a, a good amount of network of like other labels and like people between here and europe developing with you guys and networking and stuff like you yeah.
0: know man that that um started to happen after um the militant seven inch uh that's when um people from europe started to, to really reach out and uh so in between that and the Catalyst 7-inch seven, seven inch coming out is when um, we definitely started to get a little bit more communication. Um, we had a version of, uh, like, some of the Catalyst songs, and then we redid some of the songs from Extinguish the Sickness for, um, in, in the eye of the storm, I can't, you know, see, there you go, man, there was a Euro release um, put out. Uh, geez, I can't remember the name of the label that put that out now. We'll
1: look it up with the Lamgo comments later on Discord. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> I like it. But Um,
0: but yeah, so that that's when, uh, you know, that really started to pop off.
1: One thing I'm thinking about too is timeline in this interview. I, I mean, obviously, you guys are like early '90s, but we're talking about like a demo tape and like uh, contacting people in Europe. But this is all pre-internet and stuff. Like, were you just like sending packages and like writing letters? to like you know what i mean and just waiting a couple weeks at that point or
0: yes yeah yeah especially as far as the european stuff goes no one was making calls if you had a dialer that would have taken like 10 minutes just to fill up on the the payphone you know what i mean um so yeah a lot of a lot of correspondence via the u.s mail and all that uh and, you know, that was the problem with a lot of those recordings too, is like, it would take a year. It, it was almost, in fact, it might have been more than a year from the time we recorded the Catalyst 7-inch till it came out. You know what I mean? And by the time it came out, our sound had already drast- I wouldn't say drastically changed, not as drastic as, say, from Extinguished to Sickness to the Catalyst 7-inch. But it's still, I mean, we progressed greatly and in between that time, you know what I mean, I think that was probably one of the things that cursed us was just that lag was that by the time. We should have been out promoting the seven inch our sound was already different, you know I was already writing different lyrics going in a different way you know we're we're already becoming a different band so it's hard to sort of keep up.
1: Is that when you kind of like, so did you kind of step back with the more outspoken lyrics at that point? Like, and I mean, we don't have no, to dive man. too deep into it, but I guess, like, 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 how much, like, I've, like, again, this is a little bit before my time, but like, how much backlash, like, there wasn't, like, you never had to, like, like, get into, like, any fights or anything over any, like, any lyrics or anything, like, back then or anything. Oh, but.
0: dude, we never <laughs> got into any physical altercations, but we got into debate after debate. um, primarily over birthright the right. anti-abortion song that uh i mean everywhere we went even if we weren't playing like uh new bedford fest the first one i mean it must have been like an hour long we were looking at someone's merch table and it just popped off and it, you know screamy matches for sure but we'd also like hang out and go to denny's afterwards or you know what i mean man like it it at that time shit was just cool like you could scream like one of my best friends uh him and his buddy screamed at us about vegan power for like an hour and a half and how it's like oppressive you know just the term alone is oppressive all this stuff and then we slept at his house and we ate like chocolate mousse (laughs) you know what I mean and just hung out and so it it was cool back then to to be able to do that um any you know here and there i've gone to shows where i've seen stuff like that pop off like i've gone to a couple race trader shows um here i saw i'm out in the northwest uh i'm in eugene right by portland and um you know they they got back into it right when the whole uh all lives matter black lives matter stuff and i mean they got into it and. ironically enough in Portland someone screamed all lives matter and there there was just a huge huge debate right then and it was cool because my daughter was with me and I was like well see this is what hardcore is about you are getting a taste of what you know people not taking shit and calling out bullshit the second they see it no matter what's going on so I mean it was cool um to see that you know people still get motivated like that but I'm sorry sort of went on a tangent there Never really got into any fisticuffs.
1: <laughs> oh, that's cool, and it's cool you had the full circle moment there. I guess years later too, you know. Yes.
0: Yeah. Oh, that it meant a lot to me.
1: So I don't, I don't know how much you want to like, like dive into these releases and stuff, but like I said, I um, I'm more familiar with with the earlier stuff when I came in, like around the chapter split era, and, I, and I'm guessing, Dave, is that kind of when you jumped into the band too? Is around then, like '95,
2: '96? Yeah, right around there.
1: Yeah. So how so and I guess we're not talking about like members and recordings and stuff, but like we're um well I guess were there any like any important studios or anything like that throughout the recordings uh, iggy or Dave. The coolest studio
0: we we recorded at was. Uh, is it marks where we recorded the catalyst seven inch I, I believe that's why it's called nonetheless. Um, it is the same place where Snapcase recorded and zero tolerance recorded there so to me especially you know zero tolerance that's my favorite band of all time so that is pretty great not my favorite recording though but just because i got to record where mark tolerance recording was pretty cool <laughs> um but and then I mean, you know, there one was in a basement. The chapter split was
2: in. Um, was that Andy Dempsey's basement? No, that was Mike, uh, the drummer, or the guitar player, Mike Earthmover, Mike. Oh yeah, yeah. Who is in Walls of Jericho too? Right. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Him and his cousin TJ. Yeah. Yep. He did um, a
1: bunch. Of, he did a bunch of recordings too with all Mike A.C., right? Yeah. 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 So I guess, like I said, we haven't talked too much about like members and stuff, but like, how did you, how did, how did you kind of uh, come into the band, Dave?
2: When Donnie Denar was the original bass player, I guess, well, Steve was the original bass player. Am I right, Iggy? Yeah. Yeah. And then when he left, it went to Donnie Denar and Donnie Denar. He had-, had to quit because he wasn't allowed to
0: go to out-of-town shows. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so then Donnie started playing and Donnie had a medical um Mishaps, Uh, yeah, he had an aneurysm, yes, and then uh, I guess he had a couple fill in bass players since then. And then me and Chris, the drummer, were always like fucking meddling out and just fucking hanging out and being bros. And then he's like, You should try out and play because I was always playing guitar and doodling, so I did, and that's how I jumped in.
1: So, like, did you play on like the chapter split or any of that stuff, or
2: uh, the demo and the chapter split,
1: yeah, the demo, the
2: stones. Stone's demo, yeah. Stone's, yeah. Stone's
1: demo. Yeah, so you were already kind of helping to write stuff at, at that point then?
2: Yeah, for the most part. I mean, Paul and Chris are the, the minds, they're the brains behind the music for the most part. I'd throw in a bass <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and
1: which one of those dudes is the one that went on to form uh, Creationist Crucifixion? Paul yeah because i mean even in the chapter split you can kind of hear it a little bit you know what i mean like because i I saw those guys a few times too obviously and you could kind of start to hear that influence too you know you know
0: his uh sorry to interrupt me man uh, Uh, but definitely like his progression into creation made total sense just like uh the way that dave and chris took abnegation like knowing how we were rolling you know where where we were going it, it made sense that that's the way they wanted to go with it. You know, a lot of people don't understand that they don't really know, but, you know, I mean, we, I mean, we had debates <laughs> about that, like pretty constantly. I had debates with everyone else about it, <laughs> but, but for real, it it definitely made sense that um, that that was the, the path they were going to go for
1: sure. Now, this is like '96. Were like, were you guys like trying to shop to any labels or anything at that point, or you know what I mean? Dude, we were the worst uh, promoting, self-promoting
0: or whatever, networking band to ever exist, man. Uh, this this show coming up is the third show that we've ever had merch at. We've <laughs> only like that's no lie, like. The first show was like just some local eerie show and it was laughable to say the least. It was like a poorly screened cartoon image of like birds flying and stuff. And then um, for the Cleveland Fest, Paul and Chris got together and made a run of like 60 shirts and then this. And no show in between then. None of the labels ever did merch for us. You know what I mean? And not to blame them you know but we we were just poor and that we would catch wind that like uh you know like earache was starting to sort of mess around with wanting to put out hardcore bands and then of course like century media roadrunner the, those were labels that were definitely looking into hardcore bands and we had hoped but we never proactively tried to reach out worse worse shit ever <laughs> <laughs>
1: And then another thing I was kind of surprised when I was talking to Dave before, when he said you guys never went to Europe, like, was there, was there not, was it mostly just like regional stuff? Like not too much touring either? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, we would, our tours again, pretty poor, man. Like, (laughs) uh, the last tour we did with chapter, I mean, was probably the most organized. Um, we did, uh, our first tour was with Ritual, who was a band out of New Jersey with Mike D.A., who um, also was an Encounter, and he, uh, the vegan power shirts you see everywhere, he did those. Um, and that was like three weeks with maybe five shows in between those three weeks. <laughs> um, but it was a lot of fun. I still remember most of it. <laughs> So that was good, but um, but yeah, I mean, we really stuck mostly. You know, for us, it was mostly the Midwest. Um, you know, just going right over ninety, Cleveland, then getting into Dayton, Indiana, um, Chicago. That was our our really our, our strongest scene. Um, go ahead.
1: And actually, one thing. Uh, shout out to my buddy uh, Jim Callahan. I think you might know him too. Oh, Jim a
0: trooper.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> so
0: no, 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 no. I'm sorry, Jim.
1: From moment of truth, yeah, exactly. Yes, so I had Chicago so, in my head.
0: That's Chicago, yeah. Jim.
1: When I You're was asking,
0: about Rochester, Jim,
1: <laughs> when I was asking Jim before the interview, though, we couldn't remember though. Did you guys ever play Rochester? Abnegation, yes,
0: yeah, we did. We played with um, Josta 14 and ah, uh, shit, man, maybe overcast. It was on the second floor of, like, maybe, like,
1: an art studio or something yep.
0: like that.
1: On St. That Paul the, Street. That was the yeah. only time. I know exactly the place you're talking about. But, again, this is, like, right when I was starting to get into the, to hardcore. So, that probably would have been, like, Yeah, I know th- I yeah know. it would have
0: been right around that yeah. period.
1: I knew Jasta 14 played here, too. And I, I, there's a dude who archives all the Rochester hardcore stuff. So, I wonder if he might have that flyer somewhere. So, I'm going to ask him. Uh,
0: yeah, I bet, I bet he does, man. Yeah. Um, That was actually an awesome show, too. And there you go a prime example of how we did not try to network at all right like man if we would have had our shit together (laughs) maybe we would have talked to jamie just a little bit more
1: (laughs) and then now with with especially when when dave joined you guys started going more of the metal route like i i i hear like bands that came along later again, like obviously Creation, he, he he formed that band, but I hear even bands like like Prayer for a Cleansing and Undying that came along a couple of years later, like could be influenced by a sound like that. But like at that time frame, like there weren't a lot of bands playing that sound. So were you guys kind of starting to stick out more on the shows you guys were playing at that point? You know,
0: at that time, as far as metal goes, really you had at like the top, you had like Integrity and Bloodlet. Um, you know, playing like at least like the darker sounding metal stuff. Um, And a lot of other stuff and probably us at the time, especially that were that transition, you know, we weren't really honing our sound too much yet. You know, we definitely were not reaching that, that high of a a level or whatever. Um, But I do think, uh, people were shocked when they were expecting, you know, just like simple chugga-chugga stuff. And then, you know, we dropped, we we did the chapter split songs or we did the Stones' um, Strike the Cedar songs. You know what I mean? I, I, people were floored, you know what I mean? Um, so it definitely caught people off guard. I think uh, really for us, uh, Day of Suffering was another band, even though they were a lot more death metal already, uh I think that was a band we could you you could say we um you know cor- correlated with jogged with pretty well we're we're on like that same level and and then after the fact probably like influenced a lot of the same bands
1: yeah I saw that Day of Suffering they played uh it, I don't it wasn't quite called Hellfest yet but the first Syracuse Fest in '97 like the three day super fest or oh whatever. yeah. The, yeah. I went the day like Hatebreed and Despair play, and they played that day too. So I saw those guys. Yeah, they were definitely. Oh, oh, like, right
0: on. And awesome yeah. dudes, man. Yeah. And now uh Steven uh James or Jimmy are in Sect. And I I love Sect. They're playing the the reunion show. So I mean that, that I'm psyched. Super psyched on
1: that. Yeah. I knew there was those guys were in other bands, but I guess I never realized that it was it was dudes from Day of Suffering in that band too. That's yes. really cool. Yeah, yeah.
0: Those two and then like uh Scott from Earth Crisis. Yep uh andy hurley and then um chris from yeah. left for dead and uh starts with a c cursed. i don't
1: know yeah cursed yes yeah cursed. He's, been in, he's been in like like 50 million bands too yes like, yeah he has so but yeah no so i i guess like this is a kind of the era where where like kind of dave ended up, like did dave ended up taking over for vocals like where did you when it was getting to be too metal did you decide to kind of like leave the band or was it like like how it you know I,
0: man it it was uh a lot like um so first paul left we we toured uh with chapter and that i mean we got in a pretty bad accident um him and chris who are like lifelong friends just uh we're having a hard time getting along uh so you know at first paul was like i just want to take a break And that break led into him like, and, you know, I can understand why he was living in Pittsburgh, the chapter guys are in Pittsburgh, he got into chapter, which turned into creation, you know. Um, And for me, I was still adamantly, I wouldn't say it was uh, still as urgent to me about veganism and straight edge. It was still something that I wanted to put out there though and i knew chris and dave just weren't about it you know and to me that's what abnegation was about and with paul not being there i i was really all on my own you know what i mean um and nate black who was vegan and straight edge uh so you know he would he played a big part he was like probably next to paul and chris the most uh um Regular member of Abnegation. He dropped out once or twice, but he always came back like the prodigal son. <laughs> um, but uh, so I uh, just had it to the point where I was, I mean, I had gone through a bunch of breakups, uh, a couple of different breakups back to back, which turned into I just got into uh, a really, really bad state of depression. You know, if you listen to some of the um, Stones, the Strike the Cedar, that tape, uh, the song Drowning the Hill, I mean, that was all, you know, pretty self-reflective about suicide and stuff. I just, I was not in a good place. Um, and I just knew that my time for abnegation was done by that point. I knew that Chris and Dave definitely wanted to do, go a different route sound-wise that I wasn't into. I was just dealing with my own shit. Uh so I, I definitely was like i just it's not for me anymore.
1: So I guess uh Dave, did you just kind of immediately like decide just to take over uh vocals and kind of shift in the direction that you ended up with on a uh, good life album? Or
2: I mean like I am not gonna lie, I was scared at first. I mean you've got some big shoes to fill. And then I said, fucking whatever, man, let's do it. And we did it, and there you have the good life recording. Um I mean, the transition was definitely a difficult transition, for sure. I mean, like, people didn't know how to take us. They didn't know what was going on. And like Iggy said, like, if you go from abnegation hardcore to abnegation metal, you're like, holy fuck, what the fuck just happened to these fucking dudes? But if you were with us day to day and see the fucking transition, you'd understand what Iggy's talking about. Me and Chris definitely wanted to fucking do a more metal fucking heavy death fucking ripping album. And that's just what it, it turned into a fucking heavy death metal ripping album even though steve maynard doesn't like it it's still a good record <laughs> now i had sorry, a- i got supposed to say steven maynard because i guess all the tattoo girls like that better is what he tells me
1: i had a band on here previously the red death who was on metal blade and they and they when they turned in their second album like metal blade wasn't too pleased with it obviously so like like you had when 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 you turned it into good life like were they expecting like more of like the you know what i'm saying like the death metal or like like how was that reaction i guess
2: um well you know what i i can't tell you about any of that reaction because i i had no dealings at all with the good life personally um i just showed up recorded vocals and that was it and bass and uh chris chris is the one who took care of most of it he got a lot of flack from it too and he would tell me sometimes he'd be pissed off and that, uh, I forget the guy's name from A Good Life, but he was, at first he was just super excited about the record. He's like, fuck it, man, this is great. This is amazing. Put the record out, caught so much shit for it. And then he's like, ah, fuck. <laughs> and then I guess he sent Chris a couple emails asking stupid shit about it. But yet to this day, he'll still sell test presses. I don't know how many fucking test presses somebody needs to make for a record, but he's still selling them. So I guess it's uh must not have been that bad on him. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, it's definitely not a bad album. It just sounds completely different, obviously, than the other ones, you know. But um, when like how what like again, like kind of like the this kind of style like, is more popular for like hardcore kids playing like death metal now, like in 2022, you know what I mean? But like back then there wasn't as many bands like so how many like what kind of shows would you start like were you playing with like the like who were you playing with at that point? I guess, you know,
2: I mean, uh, we played with Ascension a lot from Cleveland. As these guys say, Mike Ski started a fucking lake effect and brought that shit into effect and made that fucking eerie scene huge, but there was no metal going on. So yeah. I was a purveyor bringing in metal, and I was trying to bring in Crowbar, the Green, I Hate God, Brutal Truth, Turmoil, Torn Apart, any bands we could get our hands on that were any semi what metal, we were fucking trying to bring them in, play, and or do local weekends, regional, because even with Iggy and Paul going, we were still the fucking worst at promotion and fucking getting ourselves <laughs> out there. <laughs> Those were big shoes to fill. <laughs>
1: um, and like I said, I, I had planned on t- talking to you about the promoter, but I'm not sure how much we'll get to it now, but like, is this when you started booking shows more? Was it was like, like to, to just to kind of help book, get your band on more bills like that, or like, like mid nineties, or had you already been booking shows?
2: i had already been, I've been, I was booking had shows on long, long time. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. uh, that's sort of how
0: we knew Steel because he was booking shows back then. I mean, that's how we were familiar with him. And then Chris and him worked together is really how right Steel. Yeah, yeah, is how you really linked up with getting in the
2: band. He had been booking shows a year,
0: like metal shows for forever. Yeah,
2: I booked show. I started booking shows when I was like seventeen, so it was when Kinkos was awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, because I knew – because that's when I – because, like, again, I got more into, not like, 90s, but I was more familiar with you and the Erie scene, like, when I was coming to shows more, like, 99, 2000. I know you were booking most of those shows then, so I always kind of wondered, like, when you, like, started booking shows, I guess. So I guess that kind of – Well, right me. around there
2: would probably be me and Mike Torty. Mike Torty did a lot, too, for the scene. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah, I remember. I, I, I knew Mike. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, so. Do you ever go to IQ Records? I, the only stuff I ever went to in Erie was at Forward Hall. I went to – Uh, Probably like ten or so shows. Definitely a Bane show, a Death Threat show. Yeah, Death Threat. I don't think Death Threat played. It was like uh, Desperate Measures and some other bands. Horror Hall was the best. Yeah, no, that's why. Like I said, I thought that place was a lot bigger. I was surprised you guys said it was only like three fifty or four hundred caps. When I went to that that Bane show, it seemed like there was a ton of people there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, what kind of dissolved the band then? At that point, did you just like like when was there an actual breakup or you know what I mean? The first time.
2: I I just got, uh, I'd really gotten more into tattooing and I was just trying to uh, further my career there and uh, just really delve into trying to learn and better myself and all that stuff. And I didn't want to sit in a van with a couple sweaty dudes and just try to fucking make fucking ends meet when I was already having problems with that. So I left and then Doug, Corey and Chris went on and recorded a couple more, uh, three songs, I believe. Chris still has the Dash for that stuff. But uh yeah, we did two songs that got released on a compilation, one hell of a compilation. And then they did uh three more songs after that that were supposed to be released on a seven inch, which I'm sure Chris is destined to still do because he is diehard. He does everything he says he's gonna do. So there will be a seven inch of that. And he does. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so And I know you played in like Dead of the World and a bunch of all those bands. Like we probably won't talk too much about those tonight, but like we are already starting to play in these bands at this point too, or did that come a little bit later?
2: Oh, uh, that's definitely a little bit later.
1: Yeah. So you kind of took some time off to do the tattooing thing after uh, abnegation, then.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It took a
1: couple of years. So I know you guys kind of brought the reunion together. Now, like, did you guys keep in touch, like, in between and stuff? And like, was there ever any other talks of like doing reunions before this reunion?
2: Uh we. I mean. Yes. Yes. There's one talk uh, the we
0: did, but not anything. It never got to this point or even close like uh you know there's definitely mixed emotions um there there was sort of like uh, a lot of just putting the the past behind us um to make this happen uh i mean really i want to thank between steel being adamant about um re-releasing the stones uh demo and aj from preserving hardcore um you know after we did the re-release and the run of shirts and stuff i i pretty much was like all right that's it you know it's never gonna happen we're not gonna do shows whatever and then aj reached out and he goes well so what would it take to do a show and um i honestly dude i did not think it would happen i i was like well i at least have to let the guys know you know i mean Paul has like a career he is he does supercomputing he writes code for i mean i know he's done a lot of i i don't even know to be honest i feel like if i say the wrong thing i might get killed <laughs> not by paul either by dudes wearing like like little microphones in their ears or something i don't so but i just did not think he would be about it i i've probably asked him like 15 times if he wanted to do a reunion show. And every time he'd be like, yeah. And then it would never go anywhere. And then I would like lose steam about it. Um, but once AJ was like, yo, do you guys want to do a show? And this is now, you know, just like last year after he got preserving hardcore, preserving underground off the ground and, and really uh and started to make that quite a venue. Um so I was like, well I'll, I'll at least ask everybody everyone is on board man everyone is on board to make it happen
1: and one thing that i didn't realize like until i started getting ready to interview you guys is that you guys are spread out a a good amount now like with you guys being on the west coast like are the rest of the guys still in pennsylvania or uh
0: just chris or yeah chris and steve are in pennsylvania and paul's in uh brooklyn or no he's in jersey jersey now but same difference yeah. <laughs> just don't yeah. tell anyone from Brooklyn I said that.
1: <laughs> it just seems like a lot of logistics involved to to like get together to play a reunion. You know what I mean? Like a- yes,
0: yeah. I do like uh, at least once a day. I go through the set in my car. Uh, I'm sure I look awfully crazy to people like passing me by, but I don't know if you've ever been in Eugene. It is filled with people just screaming randomly <laughs> at nothing. So I fit fit in pretty well. Um, and then uh, Chris and Steve have practiced pretty regularly. steele has been practicing. You know, They technology has been a, a wonderful thing as far as that goes. They've been able to, to make it happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, we got, we're lucky because Steve's a guitar teacher and Paul is a supercomputing fucking maniac. So being able to help tab everything and Zoom practice everything and whatnot for anything. Just makes it happen. And one thing I don't know
1: how deep you want to dive into it Iggy is like, I'm like, personally, I'm not really and I've never really been straight edge but like I know you guys obviously were like a vegan straight edge band and yeah. like obviously now like you're from reading interviews I understand like you're not straight edge and like, like myself it sounds like you kind of dealt with like some addiction issues along the yes, run dude,
2: yeah.
1: Um but I guess, like, if, I don't know if we'll get into that topic at all, but I guess the first question would be, like, like how do you approach, like, some of the lyrics if you guys are planning on playing some of those songs? Like, you know what I mean? You know,
0: man, I, uh, so all the later stuff, um, even, like, some of the Catalyst 7-inch it's really geared towards organized religion. Uh, Stones, um, there is, uh, more talk about religion, uh, you know, relationship, love stuff. The chapter seven inch or split, you know, obviously, I'm not trying to deny that we are militant vegan straight edge. Band. Um, and for me to be singing those lyrics again is sort of twofold. Um, one, if it still inspires some other younger kids to look into straight edge and veganism, well, that's fucking great. Like, because that saved my life. You know what I mean? At at that point in time, that that's what saved my life. I, that was such a good thing for me to find. Because otherwise I I would have uh, become so introverted and so alone in a in a city like Erie that, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have either made it out of Erie either alive or at least not without some jail time. You know what I mean? For fucking up. <laughs> um so there's that like so that'd be great and also like we never ever got to have like a a final show not to say that this is going to be it you know that if we can make it work and we can write some new stuff hopefully that that works out but that is something that has been in my heart for so long just to want to to have a way some some closure on it and especially I feel like the last stuff we wrote, I mean, lyrically or not, you agree with it, I I personally love it, I think it is good, heavy music, you know what I mean, and to, to play that song, for people that want to see us, you know what I mean, it's a, the place sold out, everyone there wants to see us, a lot of those kids never got the chance the first time around, so I, I feel like it's a great thing, and you know, I, I get people being pissed um, or feeling insulted. I would never want, you know, I still have a lot of friends that have been able to maintain being straight edge and vegan this whole time, you know, closing in on 50. And I have nothing but respect for those guys. Uh, To me, I I went through some shit and I, uh, I mean, I made some pretty bad choices. I, I did some pretty bad things that led me to where I am now. You know what I mean which I I have an amazing family, I have an amazing wife who I never would have met via you know the straight edge hard, hardcore scene. You know what I mean that that never would have been in those books and uh, I I work at a I'm a nurse at a methadone suboxone clinic. I never would have been pushed into this field. You know what I mean it never would have been like calling for me and I feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Um so doing those songs and putting that out there it means the world to me, just in a different way.
1: Yeah, no, that totally makes sense, and I can understand. That. And again, like having myself dealt with uh, addiction, I can understand that. And you know, the layer. Yeah, lyrics... Go ahead.
0: Like, like going forward, I feel like that's something that that that's a piece of me now that I want to put out there. You know, what I mean, where I I want to let people know that are going through mental health issues, addiction issues, you know. You're not alone either. Like uh I've I've been homeless, I've made plenty of bad choices, and you can you can work past that. It takes a lot, um, but but you can, you know what I mean? So I feel like uh that's another important part about doing this. That's why I've been trying to be as open as possible about uh the situation I got into and in my life in that that period of time after I left abnegation. Uh just to be open to these questions and and you know what I mean to to people wanting to talk about it you know what I mean I, I know um, having someone like that is super important to helping someone recover.
1: Yeah.
0: Not that I'm in recovery. I don't want to front. You know I I have a beer every now and then whatnot. But um, so I I, I never want to I you know one thing I realized with Straight Edge Man I know that when I say I commit to something. But then I fuck up. I fuck up, man. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I don't want to make that commitment again and and just you know throw it all out the window. I'm I am who I am. You know what I mean? But uh but I know it's important to be able to talk to someone and, and to be able to be open about it and everything.
1: Yeah, so I, I guess kind of getting back to the band a little bit, you guys, you had kind of mentioned it a little bit, like, have you guys talked about playing any other shows or anything, or are you just kind of planning on seeing how this one goes for now?
0: I, uh, you know, I don't want to talk for Steel or anyone else. Um, I think we're all open to it, though, and, I, you know, I, I would say we we hope it all works out so that we do. Um, you know, we just have to see it. It is interesting trying to juggle all the pieces of the puzzle being across the country from each other. Um, you know, but we're making this work. So who's to say we couldn't make make uh future work too, you know.
1: Now you mentioned seeing Race Trader out there too. It gets me thinking, do you guys kind of help handpick pick the lineup for this fest or was it kind of more AJ just know, dude, Uh
0: for Race Trader, that was definitely one of my asks was um and i i knew that uh aj knows those guys and you know he uh was into them too so i knew it wasn't like that big of an ass but they've been uh some of my closest friends over these past few years where we've um i've really gotten to know them i've uh and vice versa and they like um it's hard to put into words but they've been such a uh focal point for my daughter and i so, you know, when this show came up, that was one of the first things I, I asked AJ if we could do. And then, I mean, I never thought, like, Zao and Sat, uh were also going to be possibilities. And, ad, like, Advent is funny because I hadn't heard of Advent um, until maybe, like, two or three years ago. And it was just, like, going through Bandcamp. And I was like, oh, that cover looks pretty badass. <laughs> And now I can't wait. I can't believe we're fucking playing with them. You know, I mean that I mean the whole the whole thing is awesome. And Zayo with Scott being in there, that's like the closest thing to an navigation chapter reunion. (laughs) So it's all all pretty awesome, man. Yeah. So I can't say we handpicked, but it is probably one of the most ideal lineups, you know, that that we could ask for for sure. I think.
1: Yeah, and, and like I said, I know we kind of jumbled a few things around, but uh, I have a few other like non-abnegation probably related questions before we wrap up. But is there anything like that I didn't touch on with abnegation, I, I guess, like is, like with the lyrics or anything, you know, with the music or anything you would want to talk about? Um,
0: Me personally, I, I would just say, you know, for a lot of the people that um, have their doubts about it or whatever, or, you know, I feel like a lot of people probably wrote us off after the demo, like the first demo Life for Life or a Sandwich to shit Sickness. Um, and maybe there's not a lot of point in going back and checking out the later stuff because, you know, who knows we're going to be a band or not. But to me, I feel like following the later stuff really is almost like a totally different band. So, uh, you know, a lot of people automatically want to hate on the fact because we were so, um, you know, militant and so out there with our beliefs. You know, we were 19, 20 years old. I I truly thought that I was going to be killing people to save animals. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I thought there was going to be a vegan revolution. That is what I was gearing up for in my head. You know what I mean? Um, I I don't know. You know, and it's funny, but look at what the real vegan revolution brought, you know what I mean, it is huge now. And that was that was the right way to do it. Not through telling people we're gonna kill you, but piecemeal, bit by bit, being able to get, you know, freaking beyond burgers and the fast food restaurants and whatnot. I mean, it's it's just huge. It's a whole different ballpark. And I think that's all because of vegan straight edge, you know what I mean. Um, I just think we just probably went about it the wrong way, <laughs> you know, but I, I was an idealist I I just really it just appealed to me at, at that time, so I, I think you gotta look past that we were kids. Um, the the message was very important, um, but I, I just think there is a lot more else in life, too, that um, you know that i've been impacted by that to me these days takes takes precedent my own mental health for one you know that that was part of uh where i think um a lot of my depression came in besides like relationship stuff was realizing that no matter what i did it's fucking over the world it's fucking over animals there was no winning there was no vegan revolution i i was just some kid with a mic that you know just i don't know man that just just got ahead of himself you know what i mean but uh so yeah that that's what i would say you know just to have people go back and really with as open mind as possible but to to check out those older stuff the older records and whatnot
1: well, one thing I would definitely say though is uh, I've been a vegetarian since nineteen ninety seven and and vegan since like uh, two thousand eight two thousand nine one of those years and it's like you said it's it's one hundred percent due to like being a part of the hardcore scene so I would definitely say that fans like you guys and and the other obvious ones were definitely impactful and you know it's it's you know I'm I'm thankful for that obviously like if there's, there's right. one thing I can say I've stuck to like commitment wise yeah. in my life you know it's been that you know and I've always You know, so it's, it's definitely thanks to that. That's awesome, man. You know, so, um, one thing I wanted to ask you about real quick too, though, uh, Iggy is I know from listening to the NCS podcast, are you working on like an, like an eerie hardcore podcast too?
0: Uh, yeah, me and, uh, Maynard, I mean, Steve, I mean, Steven, (laughs) uh, Steve, um, and another one of our friends, Matt are doing sorta, I mean, you know. I'm not sure how many episodes we're going to get into, but really just um, and even if it's mostly just for our friends, but just going back and talking about uh, really where Erie Hardcore really started to pick up steam and got into Lake Effect and, you know, just all the sort of. I, I, I can't help but say like major players, you know what I mean, but, you know, just just the dudes that were there every show dudes and females you know we there there was a, a big contingent of of girls that you know was r- right there with us um but just interviewing them talking about shows that we went to shit that went down you know stuff like that i don't know how many episodes like i said you know what i mean but we're we're trying to get it off the ground yeah
1: i mean that's just one thing i've noticed with doing this podcast like i don't i don't interview exclusively people from like the mid 90s early 2000s era but it's a lot and like th- a lot of smaller scenes like Rochester and Erie, like there's like there's not enough documentation sometimes, you know what I mean? Like and Definitely. especially with Erie, like like EMS has the the comp, but other than that, like I don't know where to go to like see like 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 histories of like Erie hardcore basically, you know what I right. mean? Right.
2: So, yeah. Pretty much e- because there isn't anything really. Well, if you got any questions, you can probably email EMS and ask him because he uh is like the know it all of it all. Oh yeah, all of it, <laughs> yeah. man.
0: And I mean, even if there's not like a specific spot to go to just asking him and he will flood you.
1: <laughs> I was just going to say too, I'm sure he's going to listen to this and now he's going to text me and be like, Hey, you, uh, what, what are the questions you got about your yard card?" <laughs> yes. So, yeah. I'll let you know. I'll, I'll, I'll write them down, I guess. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I guess that's pretty much what I had for topics and questions. So like I said, if there's anything I missed or anything you, uh, well, I want to plug, I mean, obviously the show sold out, so it's not really much to, to plug there, yeah man
0: just um you know dude uh well for one thank you for even being interested in, in doing this you know and it, it's awesome even if the show is sold out that people are interested and i i do feel like um you know we still have somewhat of a story to tell you know what i mean uh so even if this doesn't correlate into writing new music but just getting out here and being able to talk to you uh is such an important piece of of hardcore and what we did back then that it, you know it's it's awesome man you know hardcore in general is just an amazing thing and I, I just uh i'm so lucky that my kids and particularly my daughter just got you know connected with it because i feel like it gave me such a good model of how i wanted to be so you know, whatever keeps hardcore going is, is really what what's the, the, the goal, right?
1: Yeah. Uh Dave, I was thinking beforehand, I didn't know if it would be PC or not. I wanted to have like a snake charm or soundboard going, but I didn't uh I, <laughs> I didn't know if it would be if it would be cool to do. So uh but uh with that being said, I guess do you have any anything else to add or anything to the interview before I kinda do like a little
2: outro? No, man. I mean I guess pretty much covered most of the ground of what's gonna happen, what's happening, how we're doing it. So appreciate you having us on and letting us talk all this stuff about a uh, good old abnegation and uh love you steal Ah, love you buddy <laughs> I tickle you right now <sighs> <laughs> but uh yeah i don't know there's uh always more stories to be told so i'm sure after the show we'll have some more stories for you if you ever want to do a follow up
1: <laughs> yeah no, like I said I have other uh you like there's a lot of bands in the early 2000s that, that you were in. Well, not a lot, but a few that I would want to talk more about and you know what's not going into the 3-hour episode type thing. So maybe uh we'll do an- another interview at some point down the road, you know what I mean? So um but yeah, no, I appreciate you guys uh taking the time to do the interview. So uh I guess that's going to wrap up the episode. Uh, Thanks to Iggy and Dave for doing the interview. Uh, As always, shout out to Greg Nooch and Jim for helping out with the podcast, all the Patreon subscribers. Thanks to my
2: family for supporting this. Uh, See everyone real soon and stay safe.